Welcome to The Read Along. A mini book club for your ears. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at at a time. time. Have you ever watched a movie and wondered, could that have been better? Well, fortunately, there's a place you can go to find out. I Have Some Notes is a podcast where Greg Beaver, Liam Kreswick, and me, Scott C. Bourgeois, discuss movies and try to punch them up. You can find it right now wherever good podcasts can be found. Easter has come and gone. Huzzah. There is so much chocolate we may have overdone it a little bit for our kids uh everyone else may have overdone it a little bit for our kids so much chocolate yeah but uh, i don't want to really labor on that too much this is mostly just like a signpost for when this was recorded uh (laughs) because we are we have a lot to talk about yes and not a lot of time to talk about it in indeed nita has like pages of questions and we're already trying to figure out how we might be able to squeeze them all in or if we're gonna leave a couple on the cutting room floor so we will just kind of dive right in as we go full book club with Questland by Carrie Vaughn. So here we are with our final analysis our full book club episode. I hope you brought your wine and your snacks. Indeed. If this is your first time joining us, this will be a treat for you. <laughs> as we do kind of the normal book club discussions about a book. This is like this is like speed podcasting if you just show up for the full book club episodes. Yeah, but then you miss out on all of the wild, irresponsible speculation. It's true. All of the crazy theories, all of the aha moments. <laughs> all of the ha I told you so's. All of the little like, ooh, we found an Easter egg. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> All those times we were like, oh, no. Yeah. Anyway, here we are. These full book episodes are always a fun challenge for me because I'm trying to find something that we haven't already discussed to death as mm-hmm. we go through the chapters and that we can talk about in a reasonable time frame. With this particular book, we could do a whole nother lengthy episode on how we would build that island right? Make our own theme park. Mm -hmm. We could. And I'm going to try really hard (laughs) not to do that here. So much to talk about with that stupid island. All right. So let's get the quick and easy stuff out of the way. What was your favorite thing? Could be anything. Your favorite part, your favorite character, your favorite scene, your favorite line. What was your most favoritest thing? I really liked the mercenaries. It would have been very easy to paint them as kind of like insidious and unscrupulous, um, uncaring about the world that they were exploring and ultimately maybe a little villainous by having them maybe have ulterior motives. And Carrie Vaughn did not go down that route. The mercenaries are very steadfast throughout the entire stretch of the novel. They're very much on Addie's side, more or less, pretty much from jump. Yeah. They humor her in a way they didn't have to. And they even kind of get into it. Even Rucker, who's like the jock, by the midpoint of the story is like, you know what, I kinda, I'm kind of curious about some of the stuff that's going on here. Maybe I should like learn a little bit more about this. Wendell is super excited about all the stuff that he's seeing. 
Like he's nerding out on all the tech. Yeah. So that's cool. Um. So I mean, their portrayal seemed very earnest, and especially because the on the trip to the island and in the lead up to the trip to the island, it's very impersonal between Addie and the mercenaries. She feels like she's not one of them. And they very quickly become kind of an adventuring party. And they're very much positioned as her supporting heroes as the story progresses. And I appreciated that. I really liked the mercenaries. Excellent. Yeah. What is your favorite? My favorite was Addie meeting the first dragon. She was, it was like, Which was basically the puppy dog. The dragon. puppy dog dragon. That dragon needs a name so bad. Got to name that dragon. He deserves a name. He was, a, he was a very good boy. I'm pretty sure, I, if I was guessing, I'd say that the uh, tech crew did name the dragon. Addie just didn't get a chance to learn it. Yeah, which makes me sad because I would have liked to have learned the dragon's name. But there was something very wholesome about it. right? Like We know Tess kind of had ulterior motives. Yeah. Right? She was trying to get Addie on side. Right? We discussed that. We agree. Yeah. But there was just something very sweet about it. It's like, hey, would you like to meet a dragon? Yes, I would. And for once, Addie was distracted by something that didn't bring her harm, right? Like when she saw the unicorn, she was kidnapped, (laughs) right? Every other time she finds this magical thing, something horrible happens because of it. It's always a trap. But not this dragon. This dragon was just just a sweet little puppy. And it it was wholesome and heartwarming and I loved it. No, I get that. Yeah. So that was my favorite part. What was your like least favorite part? What part did you get to in this book and you're like, oh, I hate this? Honestly, I was a little let down that Dom turned out to be pretty much exactly what we knew he was going to be from the beginning. Just because it seemed you didn't really like, obvious. You didn't yeah. like that we had him pegged or you didn't like that he was that type of person? I didn't like that we had him pegged. But more than that, I don't like that he was pegged as that right from the beginning. Like everybody right from Jump is like, probably Dominic Brand did this. He seems like the kind of guy who would do this. And we were like, okay, well, maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it's not so straightforward. And then it was like, oh, no, it was him. And then we were like, well, maybe he had some sort of ulterior motives. Maybe it wasn't purely selfish. No, it was entirely selfish. Okay. <laughs> and it it just, in the end, thinking back on it, I'm like, I kind of wish it had been something a little more surprising. That maybe Dom was more of a swerve or a red herring and that it turned out... That there was a twist involved That somewhere. there was a twist. And like... Even like we we had posited maybe they had built an evil overlord who was self-aware <laughs> enough to take over the island. That would have been neat. That would have been neat. I'm not saying I'm disappointed in the story. I'm just saying of all of the things that happened, my least favorite thing was that the villain we were told right at the beginning was the villain was the villain. And for exactly the reasons we were told at the beginning. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I would have liked for there to have been a surprise in there. Okay. No, that's fair. But that's just my personal taste. I also like surprises in my books and in my movies. What about you? What's your least favorite? I hate that Rucker died. Yeah, I know. I hated that. It bothered me on such a level that this island had sharpened weapons and live ammunition and that Rucker died. Honestly, I'd have been okay if he got shot, right? Because that's not the same as death. The poor guy just doing his job, trying to protect Addie, and he died for it. That he was... did succeed in his job. Though. He did, and it sucks. Again, I just I, I kind of got attached to him. Yeah, I know. And I said earlier in, in a previous episode, like I understand narratively why we were allowed to get to like Rucker, and then why he was killed. 
Yeah, I know. I get um, it too. But yeah, I can get why it's disappointing. It, it just to see any of the mercenaries die. As I said, I really liked the mercenaries. I liked all of them. Oh so. yeah, they were a great crew. I just, I personally would have preferred. We all know. I make no secrets about this. I love a happy ending where everything's all nice and tied up, right? I would have liked Rucker to have like the nerdy denouement. Right, where he meets up with Addie later and she gives him a bunch of books to read, right? And he becomes, I don't know, a nerd, I guess. Because <laughs> maybe he gets into it. He embraces his inner nerd. That's right. And now he's got like real life warg fighting experience to go with it. I'm sorry, borsts. Yeah, the borsts. I hate it. Okay, this is something that we're going to talk about and I'm going to try not to talk about it for an hour. Addie's arc in this book is really her healing journey. I think it is. I think oh, yeah. I think that's her her whole character arc is she goes on this uh insane bespoke healing journey. <laughs> because what else could it be? Yeah. I mean, she's right? confronted with all of the things that she's been trying to kind of put behind her. And in the face of her ultimate temptation. Yeah. Because she is very close to falling into the fantasy. She does give in at one point, but then she is canny and self-aware enough to pull herself back. Well, and there's evidence all through the story about how much she wants to. Yeah. Right? She wants to meet a unicorn. She wants to see a dragon. She gives in to Dominic for an evening because she wants to fall into the fantasy of making love to her beautiful elf lord. Yeah. Right? And it's so... But then she's constantly smacked in the face by the reality after. Exactly. Then the cracks start to show and then she can't not see that. Yeah. Because right? it's not a real fantasy. No. It's only paper thin. And at the end of the day, that's not what she needs. It's the same reason she left her relationship with Dom to begin with. Yeah. Like the, the first time. Is it because it wasn't what she needed. It wasn't what she needed. It gave her It gave her good feelings on the surface, but it wasn't give it wasn't fulfilling her right? and this whole island is that writ on a large scale oh. including dom being at the middle of it exactly still. like this is like a bespoke journey for her she actually describes it as a bespoke hell at one point so. well yes because that's all part of healing yeah <laughs> right facing your demons all that jazz and she does and she overcomes a lot of her demons agreed i like that that was her arc it wasn't just insert person into fantasy world and see what happens. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a journey of becoming a hero. It was a journey of kind of like self-actualization. Yeah, yeah. And I liked that. It was it was deeper than that, right? That's what I liked about it. Yeah. Like and she, Addie and I would have been friends and I she kept found, saying that. And she found supportive friends along the way in an unexpected place. Exactly. Yeah. It was great. Nita's making the let's move on gesture. Yes. Because she she wants to get through she has so many questions written down. That was mostly for me. I'm not going to lie. So what do you think is the moral of the story here? This is a really popular book clubby question. You peel back the layers. What's it about? What does it mean? What is our author trying to say? Well, I mean, on a certain level, there's a whole can't run away from your problems thing. And that's kind of tied into Addie's healing journey, right? Like oh, yeah. she's she's been trying to escape from her trauma for a while. And the... Island is just the physical manifestation of that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I feel like that's part of the moral is that like there's no such thing as a fantasy world that you can just escape into. Yes. To me, it really boils down to learning the difference between what you want and what you need. Yeah. Right? I mean. Yeah. We discussed this way back in, in of previous chapters. 
what she wants is this magical fantasy world to be real and amazing and awesome. And what she needs is to let go of that, right? Recognize that it is just fantasy. It is just fun. It is not going to save her. Not that she was buying into it all that hard, but still, that she needed to move past all of that. It's okay to escape into fantasy from time to time. For fun. For fun. But one cannot live in the fantasy. One can't, one can't uh, completely immerse themselves in the... And just take a look at all the people who've been living on the island for the last several months. Right? It did not turn out well for them. No, they drank to, all that Kool-Aid. Ca- to, to be completely immersed in that fantasy. Yeah, it wasn't good for anybody. I don't think anybody no. on that island had a very healthy... Anything. Anything. <laughs> yeah, no. It was The it relationships was not good for were them. all toxic. It was uh, real bad. And the higher up you got in the hierarchy, the worse it was. Yeah, it, it was real bad. Yeah, it was real bad. Either that or billionaires should not be in charge of building any kind of society. (laughs) The moral of most stories. All right. Now we're going to get into nerd stuff that we're not going to talk about for an hour. Would you go to this island? I'd visit. Like, if it opened, if it was a, if they opened it to the public, if they accomplished their mission as Harris Lang set forth for them, would you want to go? My knee-jerk reaction is yes. Mine too. But... (laughs) My question is, would this turn into basically a very expensive Evermore? For those of you who are unfamiliar with Evermore. I was going to try real hard not to bring up Evermore. Go check out Jenny Nicholson on YouTube. She did an in-depth deep dive into this fantasy, this immersive fantasy theme park called Evermore. It's near four hours long, so... It is the longest video essay I have ever seen, and it is fascinating it's, it's basically a documentary about this park basically she did a super great job yeah and it's a park that has a very similar premise to mirabilis uh, it's meant to be an immersive kind of like fantasy escape yes it, it does, does not fulfill that it does not fulfill that <laughs> and there's it's it's a really good video essay about all of the trouble along the way so my question is would mirabilis have just been that on a grand scale would it have been that with a billionaire backing it right that with just more expensive props because we can see even just reading the story where the problems are right from hop right from before it ever opens oh 100 and i'm worried that well on the one hand i'm like i'd really like to see like a fully robotic dragon or riddle with a sphinx or you know stay at a a rustic inn with a bunch of like furry (laughs) woodland creatures like bringing me bread in the morning sure actually survive a labyrinth underground right but i'm i'm legit worried that by the time mirabilis opens the factionalism and the infighting and the problems would have metastasized and grown to the point where it would be a really miserable experience that would not at all live up to its promise. That's kind of what I think, too. I agree with you very, very much. Yeah. I was going to try not to bring up Evermore because... But, I mean, I've been thinking about Evermore in the back of my head through this whole oh, book. <laughs> when we when we watched her video essay on it, yeah. we talked about it for, like, two weeks afterwards. Just It was an ongoing conversation constantly about what our park would look like and what this one did wrong and how we would fix it. I will try to remember to put a link in the show notes uh, to her essay. If I forget, or you're listening on a podcatcher and you can't really follow the links, just go on YouTube, look up Jenny Nicholson Evermore. If you look up Jenny Evermore, you'll find it. 
yes. I'm sure. And then like book off an afternoon. Right? Fascinating thing to watch. Absolutely. Okay. So this is my last question. If we weren't reading this book on our podcast and forcing ourselves to only do one chapter a week, how quickly would you have burned through this book? Probably pretty quickly. I might have been able to get through it in like a day, maybe two. Yeah. I might have taken two or three tops. Yeah. I would have devoured this book. But, you know, and I've said this before, there's there's something enjoyable when we do this podcast about savoring a book. And sometimes it bites us a little bit because we have too much time to really, like, dwell on something. And sometimes it really serves the book well for us to be able to, like, stop and think and digest the chapter. Yeah, like, really read. ruminate on what we've read because then we talk about it. Yeah. Right? And you kind of get into some of the bare bones of it. Yeah. A little sooner than you would have otherwise. Uh, yeah, I would have burned through this book. I loved this book. I wish there was more of this book. Well, I mean, there is a little bit of sequel bait at the end. A little bit. Okay, game time. All right, Nita came to me earlier today and was like, rather than do what we always do, because it's getting very predictable, <laughs> where we cast or make that movie, what if we did something a little different and tried to fix this theme park? So that's what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to try to fix the theme park. All right. Which uh, then doubly amused me because right off the beginning of this podcast, Anita was like, oh, we could talk for an hour about trying to fix this theme park, and I don't think we should do that. And I was like, what are you doing to me? <laughs> no, I don't think we should talk for an hour about it. <laughs> no, definitely not. Because <laughs> we could. Probably. So we're going to truncate it down into the game of fix this park. Yes. So I think right off the top, you need a clear line between the technical crew and the control crew for the park and the fantasy of the park. The two should not blend. Agreed. I think there should be, if you'll pardon an insider term, there should be cast and there should be crew. Yes. Like Tess's team is the crew. Sure. Arthur's team is maybe the, the cast. cast. Sure. Yeah. Why not? And that's fine. You have people who are on stage, quote unquote, who are playing the NPC roles in the park. That's their job. They're living the life. Maybe that's what they love to do. Great. You love to bake bread. You're doing it. But that's their job on the park. They're not helping design it. The design crew are designing it. Yes. And they're not on camera. They're not dressed as dwarves. They're technical people who come out at night and fix stuff. Yes. The way that Disney does it. Yes. <laughs> Say what you will about Disney. They do theme parks to uh, the utmost level. Yeah, they theme park well. They, well. They've earned those five stars. Their theme parks are great. Second, and this is something that really jumped out at me early on as well, the whole island, the whole park, the whole experience needs to have a cohesive vision from Jump. And I don't feel Mirabilis had that. Nope. I feel like there were three competing teams who were competing with each other for their own visions of the park and were building stuff independently of one another. Yes. And just putting stuff on the island independently of one another. That is a huge change that I would make. Yeah, there needs no to be... No competition. No. Collaboration. Well, not just that. And I mean, obviously, Harris Lang is fired. He's out. We're in charge now. We fired everybody who was on the island. We've brought in a new team. That new team sits down at a table and hashes out what the overall vision for the entire island is from start. Yes. We know everything that's going on this island. We have a rough map. Let's get to work. Yes. 
And I think part of that is also coming up with what the story of the island is. And I would make it an original story. Oh, yeah, for sure. Stop cribbing from everything in pop culture. I get that you're doing that because you want familiar touchstones for people. You want people to be able to, like, have the member berries and <laughs> and stuff. But I agree. Have an original story. You can still throw in little Easter eggs here and there. Sure, why not? Little royalty-free Easter eggs. But have an original story and have the story of the island all pointed at that final thing. Sure. Like, if you have a Sauron as the Dark Lord in the tower at the middle of the of the island, the whole island story should be pointing everybody to there eventually. Yeah. But I don't think that you necessarily need to do one story no. either. With it, at risk of overcomplicating things, some people are going to be showing up to spend a week there. Yep. Some people are going to be showing up for the weekend and they still want to have a nice experience. So you need to have shorter stories Yeah, that those people can do and longer stories for the people who are here for longer to do. I think you create one cohesive world, right? With you, a lot of little stories. With maybe. a lot of little stories in it. And, and one maybe, like mega story. Sure. And maybe they intertwine, right? Oh, for sure. Maybe some of them do, maybe some of them don't. And maybe it doesn't matter so much. That's why you hire a team of writers. Oh, yeah, for sure. They're part of the design team, right? Yeah. From Hop. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that Harris Lang didn't have. No. Was he writers. Had. He just had a bunch of pop culture junkies. That's actually true. That is a notable omission from his team, is that no one on that team was a creative. Everyone, in the sense that they were writing a, a story or a narrative. Yeah. They were just people who liked this and that from pop culture and wanted to reproduce yeah. it. He had developers and builders. Yeah. And that's actually, that's on the nose, unintentionally, is because Addy even points out, like, a lot of this seems like facsimiles of stuff I've seen. Yeah. Or read about. Yeah. Nothing's well, really original. Having a lot of little stories also allows you to have more family-friendly stuff. Yes! So that the kids don't have to go into the spider labyrinth. If they don't want to. If they don't want to. Yeah. I think there's also something to be said about, like, yeah, some people are going to want the full, let's call it, adventurer experience. Oh, where yeah. they actually, like, have to travel from town to town, maybe have to rough it for a few nights on the island. I think that you have cast members who are, like, guides for that. That'd be great. Who can be pointing them to adventure points. Mm-hmm. And making sure they don't get wildly off track or go somewhere they're not supposed to. So every adventuring party has their, like, their Aragorn who's leading them. Yeah. But you're also going to have people who just want to stay at the hotel. Sure. And just, like, be in the world for a little while. Exactly. And I think that you have little stuff that's going on there, too. So they can still have their own little adventure, but they don't have to leave the resort. Yeah. I think it's okay to have stuff to discover that doesn't necessarily lead you into an adventure path. Sure. Like the uh, uh, the grotto in Riverhaven, right? Very beautiful, right? Beautiful fairy lights, lovely things. Maybe there is something to discover there. Or maybe you just go and enjoy the scenery. Oh, there's and I think both yeah. of those things should be perfectly valid for your visitors. Absolutely. Also, don't put the control room in the castle. No, goodness no. You have the control room hidden, not in the middle of the entire island behind the final boss because that's weird you go back to the philosophy of keeping the cast and the crew separate yes and the crew is working out of the control room and that is in a bunker underground like yeah where nobody's gonna get to it with like key cards and like passcodes and like employees only (laughs) far away even from the castle yeah 
did... if if people are meant to go into the castle and have an experience in the castle, the end of the castle shouldn't be also where the control room is. Right? Yeah. You shouldn't come out of a torch lit stone hallway into um cubicle farm. <laughs> into a cubicle farm. Yes, yeah. exactly. Wah. <laughs> the reality break there would hurt some people. Also, no live ammunition anywhere. No, goodness no. Uh, and I Blunted mean, weapons. That's, I mean, that is because Harris Lang was creating a trap to actually like harm an errant employee. But I hate yeah, it. no, there there definitely shouldn't have been any weaponized technology. No, this this should be. There's always going to be the risk that someone might get hurt. I know, especially if they're having an adventure, and absolutely, you'd have people signing lengthy legal waivers before they come to the island. But the risk should still be minimized. Yes. As much as possible. Agreed. And I know they're trying to create realism, right? It's why they have real knives and real arrows and real swords. But we could do something about that, right? No bullets. No bullets. Yeah. No bullets. Like, the fact that there were armed drones on this island is bonkers to me. It's a bad theme park. It is a bad theme park. Those are the those are the key things I could think of that I would do different to yeah. fix it. I think we fixed it. Needs a bigger hotel. Well, obviously, yeah. <laughs> the well, the inn in the human town was more tavern than inn. Definitely, there were some rooms people could stay there, but yeah, there'd be. I'd put like an actual hotel on the island. I'd fantasy it up. It'd be fantasy. Oh yeah, you'd make it like an inn. Proper, but it would be. But right? it would be like. It would be like resort hotel size. It would have amenities, wink. <laughs> There'd be yes. a pool, and it would be like a real functioning pool, but it would be it would look like a fantasy pool. Sure, why not? Yeah, there would be a spa, but it would be run by like fairy godmothers. I don't know. Ooh. But so that someone could go and just stay again on the resort for their entire stay, still have a wonderful magical experience that looks all fantasy, but is still in a five-star hotel. Like, Because yeah. there's for some people, that's going to be the attraction, right? Right. They exactly. don't want to go and camp out in a swamp on the chance that they can see a unicorn. This island is costing, I don't even know how much money. Right? You want to attract a broad audience. Absolutely. Right? You want to attract your nerds who actually want to go out and rough it in the woods and sleep on the ground. Power to you. Off you go. You've also got uh, maybe people like me who can't survive without plumbing, who want to stay in a nice comfy hotel room at night and where have some place to go. Where there's a toilet. Yes. Where there's a toilet. Catch everybody. Bring all the money in. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, you have to encompass everybody. I'm making big gestures that no one can see. Yeah. Part of me is like, oh, it would be great if you could like get a bespoke adventure, like you could pay extra and your D&D group could go and have like an adventure themed on your D&D group or something. You'd all dress up as your characters or something. And I'm like, that seems like a lot of work, though. I think on some level, you just have to kind of buy into the fantasy that they're presenting and just be like, that's going to be good enough. There's no way you can make it perfect because to make it perfect would be to make it unsafe. And that's... A bad. Sorry. At some point, you have to give up the fantasy and just suspend your disbelief for a little bit and be like, I'm just going to pretend my arrows are sharp. Here we go. Fwing. It's an arrow sound. Fwing. <laughs> I feel much better about our park. Indeed. Me too. That's that's good. I feel good about this now. All those little times I was complaining all through the book, I feel better now. We fixed it. So yeah, we didn't do a make this movie. I think that there could be a pretty good movie of this. I think there could be too. I think you could uh, definitely get some 
IPs brought into it a little bit. Maybe. You, you could pay Probably. out a little bit of money and get some buy-in yeah. uh, to have some of the pop culture stuff in there. I think that you could do a lot of really cool practical effects. I didn't put much thought into casting on this one, so I'm not going to suggest any of my casting suggestions because... The only casting suggestion I thought of that I was really confident in was El Monte. Really? <laughs> because I wanted uh, Zoe Saldana. Sure. That's That's who I pictured in my head whenever they were talking about her. Someone who looked, or at least that type, right? Sure. The slender, gorgeous badass. Zoe Saldana might have appreciated not having to be in makeup for it. So, <laughs> Full body paint, yeah. not. Though might also want to do something that's not a fantasy right? or sci-fi story. <laughs> or action. She's an action movie star. She does a lot of action movies. There you go. At any rate, that is the end of Questland by Carrie Vaughn, which means it's time to crack open a new book. I don't know if that tracks through. That's the pages of our new book. So in the past, we have put up a Twitter poll um, and asked for what genre we should do next. Uh, we didn't this time because mostly I forgot and time got away from us. So <laughs> um, so we decided we would go and just pick out a good book. And we decided to err on a genre that we have not done in a while. Yes. And that is a straight up mystery novel. A mystery novel. We're doing another mystery. Very exciting. Is everyone ready for the blurb? It is the early spring of 2016, and Queen Elizabeth is at Windsor Castle in advance of her 90th birthday celebrations. But the preparations are interrupted by the shocking and untimely death of a guest in one of the castle bedrooms. The scene leads some to think the young Russian pianist strangled himself, yet a badly tied knot leads MI5 to suspect foul play. When they begin to question the household's most loyal servants, Her Majesty knows they're looking in the wrong place. For the queen has been living an extraordinary double life ever since her teenage years as Lilibet. Away from the public eye and unbeknownst to her closest friends and advisors, she has the most brilliant skill for solving crimes. With help from her assistant private secretary, Rosie Hoshodi, a British-Nigerian officer recently appointed to the Royal Horse Artillery, the queen discreetly begins making inquiries. As she carries out her duties with her usual aplomb, no one in the royal household, the government, or the public knows that the resolute Elizabeth won't hesitate to use her keen eye, quick mind, and steady nerve to bring a murderer to justice. So hopefully there is nobody listening to the podcast who has Triskindekaphobia, <laughs> because you are joining us for our 13th featured novel, The Windsor Knot by S.J. Bennett. Currently available where fine books can be found. This looks awesome and fun and silly, and I am looking forward to it. Indeed. The queen is a spy. Well, a d detective. A detective. Yeah. So we're going to be diving directly into chapter one of that next week. You're going to want to find yourself a copy and read up on that. And in the meantime, you can check out I Have Some Notes, our kind of like... Partner podcast. Partner podcast. Sibling uh, podcast? Sure. Right now, um, they also no longer a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, but have launched a Patreon. You can check it out at patreon.com slash I have some notes, uh, where you can donate some support to help them out. That also indirectly helps out the read-along, and we're talking about stuff. So maybe, maybe that will eventually turn into something that does help out the read-along. 
Um, you can, of course, also check out all of the former Alberta Podcast Network podcasts. They're all still on the legacy website, albertapodcastnetwork.com. I'm still going to give them a shout out for at least this episode, just because they're also now all networkless and could <laughs> definitely use a little extra love. It's true. And they still deserve the bumps, right? Absolutely. You're probably checking us out on your podcatcher of choice, which is also where you can give us a little rating and review. Oh, we would appreciate that very much, especially now. That's right. Uh, you can also reach out to us via social media. Yes. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. So the big three and the extra one. <laughs> we are at the read along on most of them. You can also send us an email. Yes, we are still the read along at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. There's a corgi on the cover. Thank you for joining us on The Read-Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois. All read-along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read-Along, and check out our group on goodreads.com. Thank you.